Intelligent Threads, the most advanced wearable technology on the market. This revolutionary product releases engaged muscles holding your body out of structural balance. The results are legendary, improving posture, sleep, and relaxation while decreasing pain. Go to IntelligentThreads.com today for more info. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest, Nita Sweeney. Uh, She's the author of a new book called Make Every Move a Meditation, Mindful Movement for Mental Health, Well-Being, and Insight. I I may relay the story, I may not, but uh, her teachings have helped you know, my family and my wife big time, and they're also influencing me for the positive. So uh, anyone listening that has anxiety, depression, is generally bleh about life, want to listen to what she has to say because her techniques and, uh, you know, ways of doing things, I think will be really helpful for listeners. So that being said, Nita, thanks for coming back. Oh, thank you. And thanks for that great endorsement. That's fantastic. I uh, That's so inspiring to me to hear that the things that I'm sharing, which are based not totally on my experience, but, you know, in part on my experience, have helped others. That just makes it all worthwhile. So thank you so much. Well, excellent. Well, you know, you've been here before, but people that haven't heard you, um, if you can tell your backstory, and then we'll get into this new book and what that's about. Sure. So I had, I've always had kind of a chronic depression, melancholy thing going on. And in my late thirties, early forties, I was diagnosed as bipolar two. So I, you know, I've been sort of living with mental health issues. Most of my life, I had difficulty working, just a lot of struggles. And after a particularly horrible period where seven people and a cat that I loved all died in an 11 month period of time, I found myself sort of glued to the sofa. There may have been bonbons. I'm not sure, but it was not pretty. And, uh, you know, gaining tons of weight and just sinking into really suicidal depression. I was really at a bad point. And I was Uh scrolling social media, which we do. And I saw this post from a high school friend that said, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I went running fun. No, no, no. But I watched her and I got brave a few months later and I looked up her training plan and it said 60 seconds of jogging. And I picked up a digital kitchen timer, leashed up my dog as a decoy and took him down into this hidden ravine. And we started jogging 60 seconds at a time. And that was 12 years ago. And I tell that story in my first book, Depression Hates a Moving Target, because those tiny little steps, as I continued, changed my life for the better. So, you, you know, you talked about your family and your, you know, issues, emotional issues getting better. I had no idea how much benefit movement, fitness, exercise, whatever you want to call it for me, it was running, jogging would make. I had no clue what a change I was initiating. And in the course of the past 12 years, I've been able to get three books published, which I had been trying to do for decades. 
I have now run tons of races, including two ultra marathons, which the ones I've run are 31 miles all in the same day. And I just feel like a different person. I really feel like a different person. I don't know how else to say it. So yeah, that's kind of my backstory. And that's probably always my story that the new thing that I've been writing about lately, which was always there and it was in the first book, but I didn't emphasize it is the meditation piece, which I've been meditating for oh, at least 25 years. And I've been a meditation teacher for many years also. I'm a certified meditation mindfulness teacher. That's kind of the package there. What I'm doing. Well, all right. So the, the physicality was what got you out of the slump. But, you know, again, I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but you said you've been meditating for, for decades. So why wasn't the meditation enough? Why did the physical part, why was that needed too? Now that you look because back it, on it. Yeah, I think that I wasn't able to focus as well, even when I was meditating. And I needed that. I, there's just happy brain chemicals that happen from exercise that don't happen from meditation alone, in my experience. I mean, I know there's people that just meditate and that's enough for them, but maybe those people don't have the serious mental health issues that I have. I'm not really sure. I just know that the, the, the trifecta for me is movement, meditation, and writing of some kind. It could be journaling. It could be actually writing uh, for publication, which is, is for me also. I do both of those. But some way of processing um, on paper or on a screen, whatever, um, what's going on. So I was actually doing all of those things together because I pretty quickly figured out, I mean, I wasn't really even conscious, uh, but I was meditating while I was running. And most people who are doing a form of exercise, there is a meditative component to it. It may be a repetitive movement, or it may be concentration it's similar to flow, which most of us get in a flow state at some point when we're doing a kind of fitness activity. And so I think that there's a there's so much overlap. And I'm, I'm sure there's probably studies that parse it out what the differences are. But when you look at the science, the benefits of movement and the benefits of meditation are almost identical. And that's what I found so interesting. And that's what led me to do the most recent book was to talk about, okay, so let's take this one step further. How do you do this on purpose? How do you combine these things on purpose? Well, what is the order that you found most effective? You know, should you meditate first? Or if your mind is just impossible and it's all over the place and you can't calm down, should you exercise first and then journal last? Or, you know, if you look into that? Yeah. Okay. So I journal last because I record what I did. And in that process, um, that becomes kind of meditative because I'm recording sensory details. I'm recording uh, the number of dogs that I saw and what their breeds were and what their owners looked like and things like that. So it's like a detail. You're getting into that focus. And then I may also talk about my emotions, how I felt during the exercise period. And I may talk about a technique that worked and a technique that didn't, things like that. So it's usually after for me, but I don't know that that matters. But with the meditation and movement, I do those at the same time. Now, I also do sitting practice that's separate, but the ability to combine the two has taken away a lot of my excuses about either one, (laughs) because I have learned that even though my mind is busy, I can still choose a point of meditation, a focus of, we call it an object of meditation, 
it could be visual, it could be auditory, you know, something I hear, it could be a um, smell like the lilacs in the spring, anything like that. It could be touch, like right now we're in winter in central Ohio, and it, it might be the touch of the air on my skin, the coolness of that. Anything like that can be used as an object of meditation. And so during the fitness activity, I choose that and then my mind will wander and I'll be thinking about groceries or breakfast or what I should be doing when I get home or things like that. And I remember, oh, that's right. I was going to meditate during this period of time and I very gently bring my mind back. So it's not about a particular order or it's more for me about combining them and getting the power of both at the same time. So it's actually highly efficient to do them together. But I think that it's also very individual. So some people find it's better to sit for a little bit before they exercise, or maybe once their heart is up and racing and, you know, getting, they've got their broken a sweat and they're done with what they want to do, then sitting for a little while, all of that counts. Any of it counts. My goal is to make it accessible so that people realize that they can, that the rules that they think about what they should and shouldn't do um, you can drop a lot of that away and do it the way that works for you. Cause that's actually the best meditation is the one that you will actually do. Intelligent threads produces results within seconds of wear tested over the past seven years for maximum effectiveness and quality of life improvements. Think about an 80% better REM and deep sleep per night. This revolutionary technology is the game changer. Everyone needs go to intelligentthreads.com today. So you know, you're also suggesting combining combining the meditation as you do the physical activity. Like I flashed back in my head, you know, in college I used to run. I remember one time I used the breathing. I went and I counted one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And I, I, I guess I used that to just keep me going with the running and focus on that. You know, four counts in, four out, or maybe count the number of steps and then count them again and again. You know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Right. Counting is a, is a great practice. It's especially good when you first start out. If you have trouble with focus, counting is a great way to build that awareness, that, that concentration that is very helpful for meditation. Um, but you, you don't have to count. You can just notice. I mean, the goal in meditation is to just have your mind where your body is. So that your, your mind is in the present moment where your body actually is. So anything you can use to do that is essentially meditation, the type of meditation I practice, which is insight or mindfulness, uh, Vipassana is the technical, you know, the poly term, but, um, but that's, so yeah, the counting does that because you can't count and not be present. It's impossible. Okay. So I don't know, the people that you've spoken to about this, do they have a hard time meditating before exercise or is the easiest thing to meditate as you exercise or as you most, do physical activity? Most of the people that I'm have talked to and that uh, this book is really aimed at are people who are really, really busy and their minds tell them, I don't have time to meditate. I've got two kids, a full-time job, a dog, a mom who is in and out of the hospital. I got, you know, life is crammed. I got my own health issues, my spouse, all that kind of thing. And so they already have a really, really full life, but they already exercise. And so my thinking is, 
why not sneak in a little meditation? Because it can be as simple as, you know, pickleball is like a big thing here right now. And I think it's a big thing everywhere. And uh, so it can be as simple as when you are between sets or when you are standing waiting to serve or something like that, just noticing your hand, how that feels on the grip of the paddle, just noticing that sensation. In that moment, you are totally present. And so anytime there's a stop in the action, just noticing that sensation and that's meditation. And so that's, that's really what I'm trying to do is introduce it as something that's very adaptable, very accessible, and not nearly as complicated as we make it. Yes, going to a retreat where it's all silent and you're getting specific instruction is fabulous. And, you know, where you're doing long periods of, of sitting or walking, things like that. That's wonderful. If you have the time to do that, please do. A lot of people don't. And so this is sort of a way in and can be a very serious practice if you choose to put the effort toward it. And that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do is, is come at it from a little bit different angle, because my experience has been that you can meditate on anything. You can meditate standing in the grocery line. You can meditate. You know, I'm, I can meditate while I'm sitting here talking to you, just feeling the bottoms of my feet and noticing any anxiousness that comes up while I'm talking, letting that go. And that's all that all counts. What is some of the uh, the nuance, though, like how, you know, so you- is it different for everybody or what have you found with yourself? Like what works better than, than what, what you thought at first? I'm sure this idea, again, came to you at some point, but it's been evolving, I would guess. You know, you've been well, probably working with it for a while. So how has yes, it evolved? Right. So, so for me, what works the best is to use my left foot, the sensations in my left foot, because I have a congenital defect where my the bones of my ankle are too close together which I was convinced would make me unable to run, but turns out was that wasn't true. But I do have more sensations in my ankle and left foot than I do in my right, which makes it very convenient because that's going to draw my attention. And so I often use that as my object of meditation. I just notice what's going on with my foot. I actually experience the sensations and let them come and go and notice any story I'm telling myself about them let that drop away and just go back to the pure sensation in my ankle. So again, I started by sitting practice. I started by going to retreats where we did sitting and walking meditation. And so I learned how to direct my mind toward a particular body sensation, a particular sense, whether it's a, you know, any of the, of our five senses, you can actually meditate on your thoughts. That's a little trickier, but I do explain that in the book. And just when I started running, it became so obvious to me that I could combine the two. And then it was just a matter of realizing, well, my left foot is always talking to me. So why not listen to it? And sometimes, you know, I, I use it, I go with the season. So if it's warmer out, I'm going to notice the sensations of sweating and the sensations of heat and the sensations of, of, uh, you know, all of that on my skin, maybe my breath being a little more um, labored in the cold. I'm going to notice that those, those sensations of the coolness in the spring, the lilacs always draw me that scent of the lilacs. So there's the scent when they are, when I'm near them. And then the, the scent as they, as I pass away from them, how that's gone. And so there's the space where there is the scent of lilac. 
and then the place where there is not the sense of scent of lilac and that there's a concept of impermanence that I talk about in the book. And so that all kind of plays together. And again, I want people to, to take a very individual approach, but there, there are some basic guidelines that I've set forth a series of steps of, of, you know, what you choose and how to figure out what you want to, to select as your object meditation for a particular meditation session. We're used to having a teacher tell us, this is what you're going to focus on. And usually they use the breath because everyone breathes. So, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't meditate because I don't breathe. <laughs> that doesn't, you know, that doesn't work. Um, and so I've set forth those steps and then given a lot of space for people to choose what works for them in their environment. And I've given a lot of examples. We have people who use, who meditate when they're doing laser tag, disc golf, sailing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Zumba, dancing. I mentioned pickleball, tennis, weightlifting, swimming, all of that kind of thing. And again, there's a, there's sort of a, some general principles that guide what is meditation. And then from those, it's infinitely adaptable. I mean, let me, let me give you the one sentence that I probably should have started out with, but whenever my primary teacher, Shenzhen Young, is asked how to meditate about a thing or how to respond to anything, any emotion, any thought, he will say, infuse your experience with awareness and equanimity. So what he's saying is to take those thoughts and body sensations that you're having around any experience, concentrate on those, and that's the awareness piece, and then be equanimous or open-minded or curious about them and be able to let them come and go without the grasping that creates suffering that most of us don't even know we're having. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I noticed that, again, I used to run and when I wasn't in shape, uh, all I could focus on is like, you know, being tired and hating it and feeling like crap. As I got in better shape and I could run, then I was able to relax and, you know, talk to my friend while we ran together or, you know, then I was in more of a Zen state of mind, but in the beginning, it just, that wasn't happening. So um, if someone is not only going to be trying to meditate, but also starting physical activity, can they do it in the beginning or do they have to wait until, again, the exercise is not killing them and they're feeling they get, like they're going to die before they can meditate? Well, the first thing I would say is if they feel like they're dying when they're running, they probably need to slow down. So that's the running piece of it, because most people take off too quickly anyway, because they think of running as more not quite sprinting, but they're usually starting too fast. And, and that's why I suggest an interval program is usually um, a great way for people to start where you run a little bit, walk a little bit, run a little bit, walk a little bit. And then you gradually reduce the intervals of walking so that the running um, isn't as taxing because you're uh, interspersing it with walking. So that's that's the first thing I'd say. But the second thing is, if you are interested in being present with your experience, even when it is unpleasant, which is kind of the point of meditation, is to learn to be present even when experiences are unpleasant, then absolutely, your body is talking to you. Your mind is talking to you. That is great fodder for meditation. And most of us want to, we, we basically have two choices with any experience. We can turn away from it or we can turn toward it. And so most of us, when we're starting something new that's really uncomfortable, 
we are taught and we choose to turn away from it. We try to distract ourselves. We listen to music or we you know, think about something else. Or we're just like, okay, I just got to gut this out. And we're, we're kind of distancing ourselves from that unpleasantness because it's unpleasant. I don't want to say it. But the other option is to turn toward it and get curious about, all right, I'm miserable. What does miserable actually feel like? Do I even know? Or am I busy turning away from it all the time? And you might have to just do it in tiny little bursts because it is unpleasant and because we haven't learned the, the skill set of being equanimous or curious or open-minded about that. Again, that's a skill set. These are like muscles we're building, um, but that is an option. So I, I think it depends on where the person is in terms of their interest in actually being present in the moment, in terms of their curiosity about this process. So I hope that does that answer your question kind of well again if I'm if I'm new to exercise and it's like all consuming because it's so hard and I just feel like can I still try to meditate or again should I wait I you know, doing it right off the bat or or again I, like if I can meditate maybe I should again reduce the intensity so I can Yeah I think that well I think regardless of whether you want to whether I, I think reducing the intensity is a good idea whether you want to meditate while you're doing it or not, <laughs> because I think that's the that's the mistake most people make when they start with pretty much anything new, but especially exercise, is they they go kind of full bore out the gate. And and that's why people burn out pretty quickly. And a lot of people don't stay with a particular uh, fitness activity or exercise activity unless there's some other thing like um you know, maybe it's a charity 5K you're training for. And so your heart, um, the importance of that cause pulls you toward it or a group of your friends are doing it. And so you think, well, I'm I'm miserable, but I like my friends, so I'm going to keep doing it. So, you know, there's often something, but the pure activity itself, if you don't fall in love with it pretty quickly and you're pushing yourself to do it and it's miserable, you're not going to continue. So that's why I'm saying there's kind of two, it's sort of like two questions to me, because if you're talking about, um, you know, when you're first starting running, no, it's not going to be 100% pleasant because you're you're training new muscles. But often people just start out too hard, too fast, uh, too often, and so start with that. But I I think you should do both. I mean, I think why not? Because I think it's again, if you get curious about why you're miserable, not the why like intellectually, but the experience of what miserable feels like, you're less likely to quit because that natural curiosity about, oh, wait a minute. Okay. So these are just body sensations. Yeah. They're unpleasant, but they're not, it's the story around them. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Um, that's actually even more miserable than the physical sensation of discomfort. So, um, so that's what meditation does is it pulls those apart. So that we're actually just looking at the pure sensation, the pure experience, as opposed to that um, story that's going on alongside it. Hmm. Well, what are some of the troubleshooting things that people need as they attempt, you know, what you suggest to them? Well, I think that the biggest thing is to remember to be patient with yourself. We're so used to, um, you know, just do it. Oh, if you really wanted to, you could do it. We're, we're so used to pushing, pushing, pushing ourselves. And to realize that some things are difficult, they just are, but that they can get better, more pleasant, easier over time 
if we practice that. So so I I think when people have, you know, people, the biggest complaint I always get is, oh my gosh, my mind is just too chatty. There's no way I can meditate. Well, I always say, well, that's really good because if your mind wasn't kind of busy, that would usually mean it wasn't working. And the mind's job is to generate thoughts. So that means you're alive. If your mind is generating lots of thoughts, that means you're alive. And the problem is people think that they have to force their mind to calm down. They have to force their thoughts to slow. That doesn't work. What we have to do is we create an environment where we allow the mind to slow and calm on its own. And we do that by choosing one single focus. So again, for me, it's often my the, the physical sensations of my left foot. It could be the color green, just noticing all the shapes and shades of the color green and um, picking a specific interval. So I'm not gonna probably meditate on my entire run. I'm just gonna choose the first mile. And when you're first starting out, you know, you might do it in like five minute increments. So, okay, for five minutes while I'm playing pickleball, I'm going to just try to feel the racket in my hand. So I've chosen a particular time period. I've chosen a specific object and then my mind will wander. I come to expect that, not think that there's something wrong with my practice if my mind wanders and very gently bring my mind back to that sensation again and again for that concrete period of time. So those are, you know, those are the steps that I go through in the book. Uh, I lay out all of those different things and I explain why each one is important and how to choose each one of those. And so whenever you have any kind of difficulty with it, it's always going to come back to one of those things. I've either chosen too large of a period of time, or I didn't choose a period of time at all. I have chosen a very vague object of meditation and I, you know, my concentration level um, isn't one where I can do that. I have to have a very singular focus. I have, um, I'm being too harsh on myself, which is, you know, that's a normal, normal thing. I'm having unrealistic expectations, which is that my mind will just naturally calm all of those. So, so the, the troubleshooting always comes back to one of those steps that I've laid out. Well, what if you have a session where, you know, they say, Nita, my mind wandered like 50 times. I'm exhausted. It's not working. Yeah. So that's right. So you'll do it. Just do it again and see what happens next time, because it doesn't, it's just not going to be perfect every time. Because the other misnomer is that meditation is about bliss and it's not. It's about the fact that a day will come when you're going to get pushed out of a plane. The day will come when somebody is going to push you out of a perfectly good airplane. And the one thing that you get to take with you is a parachute. But the caveat is that you have to sew that parachute yourself. So when are you going to start sewing that parachute? Now or when you get pushed off the plane? Because a day will come when there will be a discomfort, an unpleasantness, a fear, some kind of scary thing that we can't turn away from, that we can't distract ourselves from. And if we have learned these skills ahead of time, we will be ready to deal with that. It will still be unpleasant. It's not magic, but we will be prepared to deal with that. And so that's kind of the underlying thing with meditation. It will make your life much more full 
and vibrant when it's joyful. I mean, it makes all your emotions bigger and brighter because you're not, you're not clinging to them. You're not pushing and pulling on them. You can just learn to let them expand and contract, um, you know, on as they are. And then when the day does come, when there is that darkness, you'll be ready for that too. So it's sort of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, we get, um, we get, you know, the Instagram or the social media influencer on the beach with the waves and the rocks. And that's great. That's fantastic. And someday somebody you love will be in hospice. And can you be with that also being with all of that? The uh, John Kabat-Zinn talks about the full catastrophe. That's actually a quote from someone else, but he has a book called Full Catastrophe Living, the full catastrophe that is life. And, and so I am inviting people to do meditation while they're doing exercise or fitness or just gentle movement. It doesn't have to be, you have to think of it as exercise, um, as a way to train yourself for anything, uh, but, you know, we kind of sneak our way in by saying, you can do this when you're walking down the street. You can do this when you're walking across your office, um, when you're opening or closing a door, anything like that. And it will spill into the rest of your life. So that's what I would say. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm, I tend to be a positive person. I tend to be, to try to be uplifting. Um, but that's not what this is totally about. This isn't bliss. This isn't euphoria. You will have bliss and euphoria. I will guarantee you that. But it's a tool that will help you when there is no bliss or euphoria to be found. But like, again, what does someone do if they tried it? And they're like, again, my mind wandered 10,000 times. Ugh, this isn't working. You know, how do you get people over the hump? What can, what, what can they do when they're in the valley of frustration right there? And they just feel like their minds like an insane monkey on crack and they can't calm it down and <laughs> this isn't working type thing. What do yeah. they do? Okay. So that for focus, that let me, let me narrow the question because that's a focus question. And there I would say counting, like you mentioned, counting your breath, counting your steps. The first one is the expectation that your mind won't wander, which I talked about. So talking about the fact that that is really, really normal, even people like myself who meditate for many, many years, it's very rare that I can have an entire meditation session where I'm fully concentrated on whatever I intend to concentrate on. It just doesn't happen. The mind's job is to think thoughts. So the problem is not that you're thinking thoughts, it's that you're expecting that you won't. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to work with that by things like counting um, so that you are developing more focus um, sharpening that awareness by practicing. And the way we usually do that is we count the breath or you, you can really use anything footfalls, which is just fine. But, but the one that most people use is the breath. So you just count one on the inhale, two on the exhale, three on the inhale, four on the exhale, and um, count up to 10. And if you get to 10, start over at one, or if you lose track anywhere between one and 10, and most people can't make it to three, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, dog food. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's the way the mind is. That's just what it is. And so eventually, again, it's like building a muscle. So that's probably what I would suggest is try some counting, something like that. And um, I used to do, I, I used to count laps. I um, haven't done it in a while, since I really, since the pandemic, but um, I would run on a track that was, 20 laps a mile. And so that's, it's pretty tight. 
Um, and I had a little clicker. And so I would count the laps and that click, just that click each time I passed the door was enough to keep me present. Like the rest of the time around, I could stay present. Click. Okay. Rest of the time around. Click. Just anything like that to just bring you back into the moment. So yeah, lowering expectations. Again, the gentleness, knowing that this is a muscle that has to be built just like if you were lifting weights, just like if you were starting to run, just like if you were learning to swim, that it's a muscle that needs to be uh, built. And we need to learn this other skill of being gentle with ourselves so that when we find ourselves frustrated, we're not yelling at ourselves because that's the other part. That's one of the biggest parts is that. Um, um, learning how to, to have compassion for yourself that, oh, that's right. I have a busy mind. No wonder I can barely, I can barely do this. Um, what about uh, guided meditation? I've used it and it's helped me a lot, but I just wonder if it becomes a crutch for people. So should they use it or will it lead to a problem for them later on? No, I think absolutely. If it, if it works for you, that's great. What, what often happens if you continue with it, is at some point, the guidance that was helpful at first will become irritating because your mind will learn its own patterns and you will, you know, you'll become more skilled at the focus. And then the guidance will be, it'll like pop you out of your own, um, your own focus kind of bubble, if you will. Um, so yeah, no guided meditations are a great place to start. There's actually a body scan meditation on my website that I have um, where you start with your feet and just moved uh, gradually up your body. And no, those are fantastic. Yeah, I, I highly recommend. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there is, I there just is not a bad way to meditate. Well, I mean, do, so you're saying people naturally wean themselves off guided meditation? Not always. I think what happens is that sometimes your mind will become skilled enough that you don't need the guidance because you gradually develop the focus by continuing to follow the guidance and then your mind will want to maybe have longer periods of silence between the talking it depends on the style of of guidance but uh but that's been a common experience with a lot of people where the first year two years three years they love the guidance they want the talking but eventually they become more interested in what is going on in their mind or the sensations the body sensations during the silence and the uh, guidance becomes distracting from that. Not bad at all. Don't need to wean yourself off. If it works for you forever, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, you know, I tried it when, when the person's voice is annoying, then I hate it. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different thing. I want to wring their neck. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'll tell you just because this is what my meditation teacher would say is you can always infuse your annoyance with awareness and equanimity and get curious about, oh, what does annoyance feel like? Where do I feel annoyance in my body? Is it sharp? Is it flat? Is it... <laughs> but you can. you can, you can meditate on annoyance. Absolutely. Do you think it would be useful for um, someone to have a mechanism whereby they could send you either things to say or things to do to, could you give people a template where they could have like a guided meditation created, let's say by you, they would incorporate the things they want, like pick your sounds, pick what to say out of these phrases, pick the frequency or the cadence of it, you know, make like a customized guided meditation for people. You think that would be 
I think you just, I just, I think you just created a business for me and I love it. Yeah. If somebody wants that email me and we'll figure something out. That sounds fantastic. Absolutely. Now I want you to imagine this business. (laughs) Well, but it's, yeah, but it's not even, you know, it's, I mean, imagining is one thing, but it's about um, being present with what is so that when an idea arises, you can sense, yes, this is the right thing or no, that's not for me and trust that because you've been so present with yourself. It's coming home to yourself. It's being with who you are and learning to be okay with that, with all its, you know, foibles and flaws and joy and all of that. So yeah, yeah, definitely have people email me and uh, we'll figure something out. I think that'd be great. Well, since this came up in conversation, would it be okay to give your email in the interview? If not, it's oh, okay. Sure. But... Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, if it is, go I, ahead. What, what is it? Yeah, it's Nita at NitaSweeney.com. So it's N-I-T-A at N-I-T-A-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y.com. And my website is NitaSweeney.com also. Okay. All right. That, that's pretty simple. Um I didn't ask you, but what are the benefits of this ongoing meditation and this movement that you've done for yourself? Like now that you're combining them, you know, what do you feel? Like what could people look forward to if they keep doing it? Well, one of the things that happened, this is both the movement. I I can't totally separate the two because I do both of them at the same time. But for me personally, I have been able to reduce, almost eliminate the number of medications I take. I was on, I think six and I'm down to two tiny doses of two. Um, but the research behind this, if you do, I mean, just any Google search, you'll find uh, lowered br- blood pressure or improved blood pressure if you have it being too low. So it's like regulation of blood pressure, um, uh, improved mood, improved, of course, your physical self, if you're, if you're exercising, your physical self is already going to be better, but, but, but that's a, you know, that's a huge thing. Uh, in, increase your lifespan, grow new brain cells. Did I mention grow new brain cells? That's one of my favorites, the, the mm. cognitive benefits, clarity, you know, mental clarity and ability to focus the ability to be present in situations that can be scary, dangerous, harmful. I have a really good friend who's another author with the same publisher who works only with first responders. She's a meditation teacher and she works with firefighters, EMTs, police officers, and essentially teaches them how to meditate because it improves their ability to respond efficiently and effectively and empathetically, all those things, you know, not just fight a fire better, but be present with their, you know, the other members of the crew and, do better at their jobs and and to deal with the trauma that they deal with every day. It's also for the sports lovers, the really athletic people, the ones that really want to compete. If you pick up any sports performance book, there's going to be a thread of mindfulness in there somewhere. It might be a whole chapter. It might be a brief mention, but they're going to talk about focus. They're going to talk about relaxation while you're moving so that you're only using exactly the amount of energy you need to, to do whatever task you're doing. That's efficiency and uh, precision, all of that kind of stuff that it's going to be in there. Um, When they talk about mindset, you know, you always think of, oh, I have to imagine myself doing the goal. Well, how about if you just be present to exactly what you're doing? And um, so there's that. 
there's just, I mean, the, the benefits are crazy. I have a whole chapter on the, the benefits of both movement and meditation. There's some great uh, resources. The book actually has 83 footnotes in it. So I did a, did a bunch of research. I mean, I didn't actually do the experiments, but I, I did the research to find the things other people had researched. Yeah. I just feel like with the, you know, social media and all this, you know, the phones that my attention is very fragmented and it's, it's really, really frustrating. Like, um, if a thought comes to my mind and I'm going to put it into my phone, if I don't do that and look at nothing else, like if I look at, uh, Oh, there's a text. I look at that on the phone. I forget what I was doing or some kind of notification or whatever maybe, but I just feel like the phone has destroyed my brain. Um, your yeah. techniques, like, uh, do they bleed over into that? Do people like, do you find or other people find that, Oh, I'm not as distracted as I once was, or, you know, I feel better in some other way. Yes. I, I think that, that these practices can help um, reduce that phenomenon. It's, I mean, the, the technology and especially social media, it is programmed to do that to us. It is, I mean, that's its purpose is to keep us in whatever container we're in, keep us, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, on whatever we're on. That's what it is programmed to do. And so I'm not sure that, I mean, I know my focus and awareness are much better, but I think that the thing is that I notice it and I have the choice to pull myself away. Whereas before I was just down the rabbit hole, whatever that rabbit hole was. Mm. Oh, so, so distraction has been reduced since you've been following yeah. these practices. Yeah. Since, I mean, I think that was one thing it comes and goes because um, you know, I'm like anybody else. I'm not perfect at this. I don't, I, I do it every day for a period of time and then something happens and I get away from it for a little while and then I have to go back. Um, and I can really tell the difference when I am practicing on a regular basis, my ability to pull myself away, to, to put my mind on what I want my mind to be on, to, you know, to focus on, um, on what I want to focus on. Um, that's the training. That's what we're actually trying to train is uh, to be mm. present in this moment. Because if I'm if I'm not in this moment, I'm choiceless. I'm I'm basically at the whim of whatever comes along. And so it's a it's actually a very empowering skill set. So um, you know, it sounds like you first you meditated, and then again you brought in the physical. So what's the difference? You know, you, when you used to meditate, how successful was it? And when you brought in the physical too and combined them, then what happened? How how much did it help? So the meditation has always been helpful and I was always walking a little bit and, and there were periods of time where I did have fitness also. Um, and again, you know, once you're a meditator, it's sort of like, you can't not meditate. I mean, you just sort of learn how to do it and you realize oh, you're doing it all the time. And you're, most people are actually doing it more often than they realize. I just want them to do it on purpose. But, um, um, but what really happened was when I had that period where all those people died. It was just, uh, my niece had gotten sick in 2006. She, she lived 500 days or, she, or no, 2005. Yeah. She got, she got, she was 24 and she lived 500 days. And um, so it started with her death. So that the period when she was sick and my mom was sick on and off during that time too. And then during that year, I just really got away from everything. I got away from uh, good, um, you know, food habits, good, movement habits, good meditation habits. I just got away from everything because I was so distracted. And I, it's not like I didn't know the power of it, but I wasn't as convinced of the power of it as I am now. And so, mm -hmm. so yeah, once I started again, um, 
I would say I had the meditation component, but I wasn't doing it as much. And when I started running, then I very quickly realized, oh, wait, I can, I can just choose an object of meditation. I can do this all at the same time. And, um, and so I sort of was doing them both at the same time. So it's really hard for me to take them apart. And like I said, there are people that can just do sitting meditation and that is totally enough for them. But almost everybody has, I mean, they're walking around their office during the day or they're walking their dog or they're walking with their family or, you know, and that's, that's movement that counts. Um, in our, we tend to be sedentary. Our lives tend to be more sedentary. And so we may have to do that on purpose, but, but I think that if you can increase that to the point that you're getting the happy brain chemical activity from movement, um, you know, I, I, I guess my question, my, let me just say, I don't know. I don't know which should come first. I don't think it matters. I think we can just do it both. And so my, my point is if you're not moving, please try something. Because part of it is finding something you love or finding a cause that's important to you or finding a community that will draw you to it. And that's kind of true of meditation, too. You know, if you can find if you're a kind of person who needs a group, find a group. There are tons of groups. And so um, so that's why this book is is about doing it both at the same time, just because we're so friggin busy. We're just so busy that um that i want us to have the benefits of both and you're already doing one or the other so why not combine them at least once in a while what if you're uh, like incredibly distraught and you feel like you're on the verge of a panic attack you're you're really like amazingly amped up really upset what can so, you do then yeah so the the first thing is if you feel you're in any danger call 911 or go to a hospital i'm serious if you feel like you are in any danger of taking your life or harming someone else or anything like that, get help immediately. This is not going to work. This is not, this is not a cure for that. But if you are a person who lives with anxiety, which I have been had periods where the anxiety has just been so bad, if you can find tiny pockets within that, this is gonna sound really crazy, but it's really true. We even within the worst anxiety, there is usually a second or two where there is not anxiety. So there's anxiety and not anxiety. And then it might be anxiety, 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 not. And then anxiety, 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 not. But that's, you know, that's the, you, to, to see that you might have to develop concentration when you're not in anxiety. So that again, when you're in a panic attack, that's, you're being pushed out of that airplane I was talking about. Mm. So let's try to build the meditative skills when you're not in the panic attack, because because um, you're you know it's such a heightened awareness. I do talk about trauma and having teachers who are trauma informed, both uh, meditation teachers and therapists who are trauma informed, so that you really get the help you need. Because there are you know it's a, again it's a specific skill set, and you need to know you need to know that you're dealing with people who who are giving you good tools. So. But that's, I mean, if you, if I actually was going to tell somebody, okay, how do you meditate through a panic attack? It's a panic attack is thoughts and body sensations. They are, that's everything makes is made up. Your entire experience is one of, you know, it's, it's made up of those two things, thoughts and body sensations. And so if you can be fully present with those horribly uncomfortable body sensations and those terrifying thoughts at the same time, if you can be 
fully present with them and let them come and go as they will, the attack will, it'll be shorter. It may still be horrible, but it'll be shorter because you're not feeding it. You're not cranking it up. You're not, you know, ramping up the story with it and also Mm. not ramping up your cortisol. But that skill set is probably not one you can learn while you're having a panic attack. Oh, okay. So I I see what you mean. Again, it's like, (laughs) you want to prepare once you're falling out of the plane or do you want to prepare now? before? Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. So start, you know, maybe you're knitting your parachute. I don't know what your thing is. Maybe you crochet, but you're going to be building your own parachute. You're already actually building it. And so start now. Okay. Yeah. And I, again, I don't mean to be, you know, I try to be positive and uplifting and inspirational, all that stuff. But the truth is that's what's going to happen. It just is. So. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, actually, Nita, um, is your book out on Amazon and everywhere else? Or yes, it, yes, it, it is out, available. It is in paperback, ebook. It's an audio book also. I love it. My editor at the publishing, Mango Publishing, uh, Brenda Knight, she said, tell them your books are available wherever fine books are sold, which I just love that. But uh, but seriously, whatever your particular vendor of choices, if you like indie bookstores, any indie bookstore can order it. You know, if you like the library and your library doesn't have a copy, ask them to order it. They can order it. Anything like that. And, and definitely the, you know, Amazon too. In fact, uh, right okay. now... Let's see, until, I don't know when this is going to air. So there's, there's, sometimes if you check the Mango website, sometimes they have sales on my books too. I know there's a period of time when they had a 30% off the paperback and it's a mangopublishing.com and you just search for Anita Sweeney and uh, my books will come up. So, but, uh, but my website is probably the first place for people to go, anitasweeney.com. If you look at the, it'll be a, there's a tab books and you can, you know, scroll down to, to movement meditation and that'll pull up all the different options for where, I mean, it's not all of them, but a few different options, like uh, including Amazon. Okay, excellent. Well, Nita, thanks again for coming back. It's uh, great to speak to you. Oh, thank you. You always ask the best questions. Thanks so much, Richard. Intelligent Threads is like no other product on the market. True next-level biotechnology to help fix root cause issues associated with your body's structure. Try a patch, last for seven days, and see for yourself. IntelligentThreads.com. For one or more discussions on Intelligent Threads, Please listen to the podcast called It's a Body Structure Thing on Spotify and YouTube. Visit IntelligentThreads.com today. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.